it's hard to it's hard for me to not sit up here and feel somewhat like a sacrificial lamb and you know feeling like I've put myself out there and this is what happens again removing myself from the situation I see how this is better for the game of golf there's no denying that but for me as an individual yeah I there's just going to have to be conversations that are had Baby Friday on the Fan Morning Show, Justin and Ailish. Baby Friday means Thursday, which means teeing off at the Canadian Open moments away from that beginning. We believe. I feel good about it. Let's get the answer, finally. This Canadian Open update is brought to you by TPC Toronto and Osprey Valley, our friends. Bringing us Adam Stanley, Sportsnet golf writer and analyst on the scene. Adam, how's the smoke this morning? There is no smoke oh, here. I, it does. Yeah, I uh, I know that's been a hot topic. Sorry, no pun nice, intended. Good one. Uh, yeah, that was so bad. That was so bad um, <laughs> in the world of sports and uh, just logistics and stuff like that. But um, yeah, there's been no smoke here. Uh, blue skies uh, for the last couple of days, and from what I understand, the PGA Tour uh, has an on-site meteorologist at every single tournament, and essentially what they're going to do is treat that like a lightning in the area scenario. If, if lightning uh, comes close to a tournament, then they get on alert. And if it becomes a dangerous situation, they'll call play. And, and from the sounds of it, that's exactly what is, what's going to happen uh, with, the, uh, with the smoke clouds. If it becomes dangerous in the area, they'll get on alert. And if it becomes truly dangerous and is descending upon the golf course and is unsafe per uh, the regulations they have installed for that, then uh, they'll call play. But for right now, uh, yeah, looks uh, clean and clear up I'm, here. I mean, some people are saying the RBC Canadian Open is cursed based on, you know, the things that have <laughs> happened uh, over the last 366 days or so. Uh, but, you know, if there's no smoke clouds, when there's smoke clouds everywhere over Oakdale, I mean, it, it has to say something that, you know, someone or something is looking fondly upon this tournament. Maybe the, maybe the tides are turning. Maybe we'll get a Canadian winner by the time we get to Ooh. Sunday as well, and then all will be uh, all will be well. But uh, yeah, your your point is exactly right. That's obviously been the, the big conversation um, subject over the last couple of days, and and just almost a, an ironic disappointment that, of course, last year uh, was the the first event of the of the Live Golf Tour happening at the exact same time as the RBC Canadian Open. But uh, you know, at least with last year, there was a bit of a runway. We, we all knew what was happening. That event uh, had been scheduled and it was going to go and we knew who was going to go play. And, you know, we get to Monday of tournament week and there's momentum and there's excitement. And then obviously, you know, Tuesday morning, 10 a.m. happens and, and this bombshell gets dropped. And now, uh, you know, it's kind of usurped all the other storylines for, for the week of which there are, are many positive ones. And yeah, basically everyone was, was disappointed and, and sad, you know, sad for the tournament sad for the sponsors, the organizers, everyone else that, you know, pre, uh, pre today, there hasn't really been any discussion about the event itself. Okay. So you've sort of extinguished our worries about the smoke <laughs> coming into play, but maybe the only fire was in that closed door meeting. Okay. I got to stop with Jay Monahan and co. Um, so obviously you were uh, on scene, at least knowing the tension going on. What was it like trying to, you know, get yourself as, as much information as possible with what was going on behind closed doors. I know I saw some people tweeting out uh, including yourself, some, some cryptic ish yeah. ideas about what was happening. Uh, walk us through just that whole fiasco of finding out early and then having the meeting and just trying to get as much information as you could. Fiasco is a good word. Um, yeah, when, you know, little old me, Adam Stanley, all the way up to two-time major winners, we all found out the <laughs> uh, the news at the exact same time, right? It's, 
So it was strange. And you think about strip away the politics, strip away the, the back and forth, strip away the drama. And it, just think about a company, any company merging with its rival and not telling its employees and just saying at you know 10 a.m. here, guys, this is what we're doing. Yay. It would be very, very odd. It would be an odd situation corporately, uh, emotionally, you know, pick your adjective. It was just a very strange situation. So yeah, the, the, the meeting was, uh, was steamy. It was extra spicy. Those were the kind of words that were used, uh, to me on, uh, on Tuesday afternoon, a bit of a gong show as well, except the guy didn't use the word gong, he used a different word. Um, mm. and it, it was just one of those things where there was a lot of upset people because the PGA tour is supposed to be a player-run organization, and this decision was not made by the players. It was not made by the Player Advisory Council. It was not made by uh, the the players who are representative of the grander group of players on the board of directors. It was literally made by Jay Monahan and two others uh, and the chairman of, of the PIF, and, and then that was it. They, they've made this seismic uh, decision to change the landscape of men's professional golf forever. So as you can imagine, um, yeah, the, the players w- were disappointed and they were upset um, because they just didn't know. There was way more questions than answers. And, and even now, 48 hours later, uh, still way more questions than answers. Uh, just quickly before we get to Rory and the course and, you know, what we're going to see this weekend, I do want to circle back on just the idea of the curse nature of the RBC Canadian Open. Um like how how you kind of alluded to it a little bit or pointed to it a little bit, but how does it, the news and how does what the conversation has been negatively affect the tournament itself? Yeah, I mean, you think about uh, you think about earned media and media mentions of RBC Canadian Open or Canadian Open probably been through the roof. They probably, they probably have never had more people talk about the Canadian Open in the history of the event. So, um, you know, in, in one sense of the people who are tracking the analytics of said tournament, they're probably over the moon about it. But the problem is that all of the 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 conversations have been, you know, basically in the negative. It, it's, it was an odd way that the announcement came out. Um, it was an odd sort of situation that the whole of professional golf and the PGA Tour found itself in employees of the PGA tour who are here are questioning whether or not they're now contributing to sport washing. Um, you know, it's just, it just became something that wasn't about the RBC Canadian open in any way, shape or form. The RBC Canadian open just so happened to be the setting of, of this bombshell. And you know, the RBC Canadian open doesn't deserve that. It's the third oldest professional golf tournament in the world uh it's over 100 years old it's uh, it's a national open it's got a great champion a great first time venue here that that's excited to have the best players in the world tee it up at their golf course um and they they didn't deserve this so yesterday rory's uh, appearance on the podium was obviously uh, well attended um a lot of intrigue going into how he would handle this he's been the face of a lot of what's going on with the pga obviously over the last year so how do you think that Rory handled himself yesterday, and if you think his message was clear and his stance was clear at the end of the entire uh, press conference. Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, Rory has carried the weight of, of this for a year and a half, if not longer, and you know, kudos to him. Last year, he did all that carrying, plus he won the FedEx Cup, and <laughs> he won three times on the PGA Tour. You know, came into this year, same deal, still carrying the weight, comes to the Masters, obviously, you know, tired, 
and says, listen, guys, I don't want to be part of this narrative anymore. And then obviously he comes here and the narrative is turned up to 12. So um, I thought he handled himself in, in his usual uh, eloquence, his usual grace, uh, his usual just intelligence. He did a really, really good job yesterday. Um, and he told I, I had I managed to get five minutes with him separately for a special RBC thing. And, and I asked him how he was. And he's like, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. And I was like, how are you really? And he's like, I just want to play golf. And I can't blame him. You know, this is this is not what he signed up for. You know, he's kind of made it his, his mission to to be this guy. And, and you know, maybe you, you kind of sleep in the bed you make a little bit. But, um, you know, he he basically just finalized his position. The PIF, they were going to keep investing in golf no matter what the PGA Tour kept doing. And the PIF has unlimited money. They have all the money. They're never going to lose any of this money. They're on track to uh, have, I think, $2 trillion in assets under the PIF by 2030. So at the end of the day, if the PIF was going to keep spending money in golf, Rory was like, we would rather have them spend with us as an ally than try to beat them. Because if it was just going to be a battle of the banks, we were never going to win. Are, are you cool with that stance? Because I think people have like projected their own values or whatever onto Rory as he's been the spokesperson sort of against live and, and Saudi run sport washing yeah. and sport. Like, is it okay that he is okay with all this? Yeah. I mean, if you, if you align yourself with Rory morally and you realize that Rory's okay with it, then, you know, if you've always been kind of a Rory guy or a Rory girl, then you kind of shrug your shoulders and think, well, I guess he's got a point. Um, it's not a it's not a nice point, and obviously the source of the funding comes from a horrific, terrible regime that nobody wants to be supportive of. But if you look at how involved they are in our day to day lives, in other sports, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and you realize like, gosh, they're they're not going away, and they are a big part of how we how we enjoy um, you know entertainment and et cetera. Then it's kind of like, listen, if they're going to spend the money, there's nothing we can do because we can't beat them. We can't stop them from spending money. And if they're going to bring in multiple billions of dollars into professional golf at the highest level and make our product better. And at the end of the day, 18 months from now, maybe 12 months from now, uh, make everyone else who plays on this tour and at this level, super rich, then, all right, shrug my shoulders, close my eyes and just realize, well, if I want to play golf at this level, this is what I got to be a part of. Uh, there wasn't much that surprised me about Rory's uh, press conference yesterday. We we know he's not allergic to money. Uh, we know <laughs> that he hates live, and he understated both those points, I think. But if there was something that did, like, raise my eyebrows, I guess it was the support or semi-support of Jay Monahan. Yeah. Um, is Rory backing or semi-backing enough for Jay Monahan to survive all this? Yeah, I would say so. Um, I think the reason why Rory... And Jay are are so are so close. Like, I'm trying to find the right word for that. They're close because they spend a way more time together than you know almost any other player on, on the PGA Tour. Like if you think about you know even even take take Corey Connors for example, two-time PGA Tour winner, you know top 30 in the world, our country's best male golfer. He doesn't really talk to Jay Monahan pretty much ever. And and you think about how much. Uh, Rory knows about Jay and Jay knows about Rory. And it's like, yeah, okay. I believe in him as an individual. I believe in his intelligence. I believe in his vision. Like Jay, Jay's going to be the CEO of this as yet unnamed entity. And Jay's my guy. It's going to be fine. I know he's going to do okay. 
somebody like Corey, you know, somebody like Mackenzie Hughes, who doesn't talk to Jay Monahan, someone like, you know, Grayson Murray, who was up there, you know, yelling at Jay basically to, to resign on the spot. Like they don't know Jay. And, you know, at the, at, at the end of this day, it was like, listen, the people who talk to Jay and see his business acumen, they believe in him. Almost everyone else who doesn't really see it, all they see is this headline and they see how he treated them and they were disappointed in him and they then they don't want him to be involved in the PGA Tour anymore. Um, but Rory does. And, and Rory's word carries a lot of weight. Talking to Adam Stanley, Sportsnet golf writer and analyst, as the Canadian Open has probably teed off already uh, behind you some, somewhere on the course, I assume. Yeah. Um, okay, so if you got an opportunity to talk to Jay Monahan, what would you want to ask him if he had, you know, the truth serum we always say is uh, you put that <laughs> in his coffee this morning, you get a chance to talk to him. Yeah, I mean, I would be curious as to, you know, why, like, why now for this? Not, not even from an RBC Canadian Open perspective, but a little bit on the how, like, how did we get here, and and what was the tipping point for for this? And you know, it probably could be summed up in two words: money talks. But I'm I'm genuinely curious about, you know, how how much money, and and what is the grander vision here. Um, because I, I, those questions haven't been answered, and, and all they've approved as it stands right now is just a framework for this new, as yet unnamed entity for moving forward. So, you know, any of those questions would be fascinating. And then certainly as a Canadian, why do you got to do this to RBC? Why do you got to do this to our tournament? Uh, RBC has spent tens of millions of dollars uh, in professional golf the last number of years. They, they sponsored a designated event earlier this season, so that's a $20 million purse. Uh, plus all the guys that they sponsor uh, with Team RBC, they're only one of only two uh, title sponsors of two tournaments on the PGA Tour. Uh, they do a lot for the PGA Tour uh, just in general, and they've got totally, totally screwed <laughs> the last couple of years. So uh, certainly a disappointment from a Canadian perspective, but then also just genuinely curious about the why now, how much money is going in, and, and what's the grander vision for moving forward. Okay, well, let's shift to the positives. The Canadian Open is underway. It's going to be a great weekend here. Uh, oh, we're, <laughs> we're excited. We're excited to, to head there on Saturday. Justin and I uh, will look for you there. Um, but I wonder. Yeah, now that there's no smoke, yeah, I'm like, I'm, yeah. I'm feeling really we'll comfortable. We'll be able to see it. you clearly as well yeah. uh, when we're watching. So, well, twenty Canadians in the field this week. I know that it would be a really wonderful story to have a Canadian win, but it seems like maybe there is actually a real, uh, a real chance that that does break that really long streak, the drought of a Canadian out winning the Canadian Open. Uh, how do you think that they're going to fare this week at Oakdale? Yeah, I mean, when you think about just the the body of work of the Canadians on the PGA Tour over the last twelve months or so, you know, there's never been a better time. Uh, first mm-hmm. time ever, we've got three Canadians. Uh, all having won already on the PGA Tour this season. Uh, Mackenzie Hughes, Adam Svensson, and, and Corey Connors, he won in April. So uh, if you look at the week-in and week-out efforts of these guys, yeah, they are they're firmly in the mix. It's not just like we're, we're excited about Canadians because we are Canadian. There has never been a better group of Canadians all playing well at the same time on the biggest stage in our sport um, to to be legitimate threats at PGA Tour events every single week. So, um, and that and that's a bit of a trickle down too. You look at Ben Silverman. Ben Silverman's on the uh, on the Corn Ferry Tour. He won out on that tour, and he's basically guaranteed himself a spot back on the PGA Tour for next year. He grew up 15 minutes from this golf course, and he's staying in his childhood home, which is, again, 15 minutes from here. So, you know, you go all the way down the line from the guys that play on the tour 
to the developmental tours, to, to the European tour. You know, we've got Canadians all around the world uh, who have a real chance at, at, you know, striking lightning in a bottle for 72 holes, getting the good breaks, uh, getting carried across the finish line by these crowds who would just absolutely lose it if a Canadian had a chance come Sunday. Um, and so I think the combination of the number of Canadians in this field and the fact that so many of them are playing so good, um, you know, just could all align for a really special week here. So what would that mean? It would be more than just a special week. It would be, uh, you know, a, a pretty prolonged triumph, I think, if a Canadian finally does break through. Uh, what would it mean to you? I mean, you're going to be writing that story yeah. if, in fact, it is, it is to be written. What would it mean if a Canadian finally won this thing after so many years? Yeah, I mean, 1954 was the last time, and if you go even further back, you go to 1914 when an actual uh, Canadian-born golfer won this tournament. So, uh, you know, as a as a journalist, you 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 look at moments, right? You look back in 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 my career, you think about the where were you then, the the things that you can say that you did that are are part of their seminal moments in, in history, and this would be one of them. You know, I was at the PGA Championship when Corey was in the final group on Saturday and and came in just a shot back on Sunday, and I was like. Am I going to have my moment, right? Like I've covered two of Brooke Henderson's major wins, but they've both been from home. I wasn't, uh, I wasn't on site. So to have the opportunity to, to feel the the living, breathing kind of entity that is a Canadian celebration of winning the Canadian Open um, is something that none of my, you know, elder statesman colleagues have ever had a chance to do because um, none of them were born in 1954, and certainly anyone who was who covers golf is not alive anymore. It would be one of those things when you just think like, this was amazing. This was a moment. This was so special. You can't even put this in the words. And uh, yeah, I hope it happens. Uh, if you had to lay your chips with one of these guys, uh, what Canadian do you think has the best chance to win the Canadian open? Just purely out of how somebody needs to play this golf course to have success. I would say Mackenzie Hughes is probably my, my betting oh, favorite out okay. of all the Canadians. And I would say that because the the golf course is really a find the fairway, find the greens kind of situation that's unfolded here. The rough is longer than the rough at the PGA Championship mm-hmm. from a couple weeks ago. So um, Mackenzie Hughes has, has arguably one of the best short games on the PGA Tour. So, you know, if he's going to find fairways, he's going to wedge it close and he's going to putt really, really well. So, um I, and Mackenzie Hughes does that better than any other Canadian on the tour. So I would say uh, at first blush right now, seven ten in the morning on Thursday, <laughs> if I had to pick out of the 20, I would say Mackenzie Hughes. Okay. Well, we're uh, opening up the betting odds real quick here. Play some <laughs> bets. <laughs> uh, we're talking to Adam Stanley, Sportsnet golf writer and analyst. So we talked to Brian Crawford, Craw Daddy, uh, the, Craw tur- Daddy. the tournament <laughs> director of the RBC Canadian Open a couple of days ago. We talked about the course. Um, you mentioned the rough is real rough. That's kind of what we're hearing. Um, how does the course shape up? I know this is the first time um, they've done a lot of work on it. Um, it's going to be interesting to walk it and see what it's like up close and personal. But you're there now. Uh, early returns on how the course is looking. Yeah, I mean, the the golf course, so it's a 27-hole golf course, so they, they've created a composite routing uh, of 18 holes for the championship. They took four from one of the nines, they took five from another nine, and then they kept just one of their usual nines straight on. And, and I think what they've done is created two very distinct uh, parts of this golf course. The front nine, um, the, the director of golf here told me that the guys are going to have to hold on with both hands on the front nine and it makes total oh sense it's about four it's about 450 yards longer than the uh than the back nine uh really number one is pretty straightforward number two is pretty straightforward but three through seven 
they're going to be the hardest holes on this golf course um, throughout the week. So you got to hold on through there. And then once you make the turn, that's where all your birdie opportunities are going to be. And essentially all nine of the holes on the back are, are birdie opportunities from what I've been told. So um, expect a lot of drama, a lot of excitement the weekend as guys have an opportunity uh, to make some birdies and, and, and climb the leaderboard. And um, you know, the golf course is in incredible shape. They really didn't have to do much to it when the PGA Tour came and visited and said, yeah, this is a PGA Tour venue. It's going to be all right. Um, but, yeah, the, the rough is really is really the thing. I think somebody told me yesterday the rough is four inches long oh um, on, the, on the fairway and then, and then around the greens. And, and it's not just long. Like, it's juicy. Like, it's, you know, you go to Whole Foods and, and you're trying to pick up some kale from the salad bar. Like, you're really kind of going down in there. Like, that's, that's what we got, like, around, around the greens here. And it's like, yeah, if you're, if you're missing the fairways, you're going to have to hack out. And if you're missing the green, you're going to have to get real creative. So, um, it's, it's just one of those things where they got to challenge the guys somehow. And, and the rough being this long and this thick is, is where the challenge is going to lay. Uh, we're soliciting advice uh, because we're heading down there on Saturday. Crawdaddy, I think, told us to hang out around 10. He thought that might be the good spot to uh, uh, consume as much golf as possible. Uh, but, you know, we'll leave it open to you in terms of, like, where we should be, who we should follow, what we should do. Uh, you're an RBC Canadian Open veteran. Uh, what should we know <laughs> and what should the people listening to the show? Like, we talked about this before with, like, hey, the Masters, the PGA Championship. A lot of people listening are going to be down there. Mm-hmm. So what should, they, what should they do this weekend if they're heading down or they're heading down today or tomorrow uh, to make sure they experience this uh, to its fullest? Yeah, so a couple things. Um, obviously, if they come Friday or Saturday, then the ticket to the tournament includes the concert as well, which is pretty neat. Black Eyed mm-hmm. Peas on Friday, Alanis Morissette on Saturday. So, um, yeah, you watch some golf and you get a concert all, all in one uh, all in one ticket. Uh, the Fairway, F-A-R-E, Fairway, uh, a lot of food trucks, a lot of vendors. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's kind of one of the first things that you'll see when you enter. Uh, the ring, And then the rink hole, uh, it's the par three, it's number 14. Unfortunately, like where you enter and then to get to the rink, you do have to walk probably across six or seven holes. So it's going to take you a little time to get there. But once you do, you're actually going to have an opportunity to watch a lot of golf because 14 T and green is pretty close to uh, 15 T one of the holes on the front nine as well. I think seven green is around there. So uh, that little area around the rink is probably where once you get there, that's where you're going to want to stay. Okay, uh, we're mapping it out. Uh, we're excited to head down Saturday. We'll see Alanis Morissette as well. We're going to get the whole whole experience, uh, Justin and I. appreciate you coming on this morning, Adam. I know you got a busy couple days ahead. We love catching up, and hopefully we'll get to see you on Saturday. Sounds great. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Adam. That's Adam Stanley, Sportsnet golf writer and analyst. And that Canadian Open update was brought to you by TPC Toronto at Osprey Valley. Our besties are listening. Our besties, yes. Love it. Uh, very exciting. Um I wonder what he's going to do today because there's 20 Canadians that he has to try and tell the story of, right? Like, how do you manage your time? Usually it's pretty easy for him. Mm-hmm. Four players out there, maybe two in the afternoon, two in the morning, the top four. Maybe well, since you got he's the featured group of Corey Connors, Tommy Fleetwood, and Nick Taylor. Yeah, I'm at sure he's going to be hanging around those two. But if he likes Mackenzie Hughes, maybe he'll be trying to get the head start on telling that story hanging around Mackenzie. Well, we have um, Thursday's featured groups to present to you, 7.33, so about 10 minutes away. Justin Rose, Rory McIlroy, and Webb Simpson. Uh, 7.44, Matt Fitzpatrick, Tyrell Hatton, and Justin's guy, Ludwig Aberg. And 7.55, (laughs) Corey Connors, Tommy Fleetwood, and Nick Taylor. So we'll have... Already, by the time the show is still cooking along, we'll have some uh, live updates for you.
I was going to get you a live update right now. Please do. Adam Long is leading the tournament one under through one. I knew it. <laughs> Adam Long. Kyle Stanley, unrelated, I think, to Adam, plus one through one. Wouldn't that be interesting? Ah, so uh, they've gotten through one hole at the RBC Canadian Open. Um, if you're headed there this weekend, let us know. We'll try to we'll try to see everybody at hole zero when Justin and I tee off. Mm-hmm. We have Looking to talk about to hole zero tomorrow, um, which is the playable hole at the at the course that Justin and I will be participating in. We are doing our own golf. It's good. We're golf. We're golfing today, Justin and I. So it's a good, you know, warm up. Those par threes today, at will be dialed. We're going to Brayben. Brayben today. We will uh, have to really focus on those one fifty par threes to get ready some. for hole zero on Saturday. All right, um, we'll keep teeing that up later in the show, but it's time for something to chew on, brought to you by Great Canadian Meats. Yum, yum, yum. Okay, okay, okay. The Suns are waving CP3. What? This one was shocking. Uh, Chris Paul was informed he'll be waived. Sean Strani reported the Suns have discussed multiple options with Paul regarding his, influ- regarding his future, including a trade, waiving and stretching his contract over multiple years, or waiving and possibly re-signing him in free agency. There is a very long list of ways that this can go. It was very surprising. He's obviously a future Hall of Famer, mm. would be an unrestricted free agent if he was released, but things are happening. Things are uh cooking over there with the Suns. It's nice to have options, right? Have a league where there's options for guys who maybe make a little too much money or preventing you from reaching your full potential or help preventing you from, you know, fixing an issue internally. A couple options there with Chris Paul. I wonder if he finally gets what he wants and, you know, heads heads on over to the Lakers. I think he'd like to go play for a contender is what he does said. He go, does he go ring hunting? Probably, right? Yeah. But, you know, we're only a couple years removed from him being... He's 38 years old, too. Yeah, he's an older guy, for sure. But he he was kind of like... He was instrumental a couple years ago. They were close. Seems like, you know, Chris Paul making a ton of money, though. That's untenable in terms of winning a ring. Okay, so a side part of this, too, was I was following the story yesterday, and Chris Paul was trending for other reasons. His daughter is getting bullied at school because he's never won a ring. And this is this is a quote from him. My daughter, at the age now where at school kids talk crazy to her, she had a little boy at school that said some reckless stuff to her and was like, your daddy ain't never going to win no championship. So his young daughter's <laughs> getting bullied at where, school. Where's the lie? I know, but <laughs> imagine you're Chris Paul's daughter. You're just, you know, probably at some nice, you know, private, private at school. I don't know. And kids are coming up to you. Taking shots at your dad's NBA career. Kids are kids. They're going to find something. They're going to find something. That's that's uh, low hanging fruit, though. Yeah, poor girl. Apparently, she's uh, she's a, like a baller, though. She said she didn't react at all, but she got in the car and she's really emotional and was telling her dad about it. Was, okay, don't bully the kids because they're parents. Who's this kid that's bullying Chris Paul's daughter? Only one way to stop it, Chris. Go win a ring. Shut up the win a ring. Shut up the bullies. Um, she could wear it to school. Oh, there you go. Um, okay, so tonight you've got uh, Blue Jays 707. You've got Jose Barrios on the mound, a great pitching matchup tonight. And you've got the Vegas Golden Knights and the Florida Panthers. So the trip to Miami begins. You've got two games here Thursday and Saturday night uh, for the NHL. Obviously, you've seen the Heat and the Nuggets score of last night. We'll get into that. Jamal Murray with the triple-double. Uh, Kitchener's very own, making us all proud up here. And 
messy to Miami. So it is the it is the the month of Miami. Maybe that changes your your vibes on how tonight goes with the Florida Panthers looking to get into the series. Uh, we'll talk more throughout the show. We have Tony Miola joining us at the other side of the break, former USA national team goalkeeper, current MLS on Fox, color analyst and host of Sirius XM FC. So Messi, maybe the biggest moment in MLS history. Yeah, I think that you could probably say that with confidence, um, how you even begin to contextualize this legend in soccer lore coming to North America, how that's going to change the sport, how that's going to change the face of MLS. We talked about a little bit about his contract. Uh, it's really interestingly structured, um, maybe kind of a groundbreaking move and trying to forego $1.6 billion Saudi money to play in MLS. They had to do something a little bit unique to get that contract structured. So we'll go through that with Tony. And then um, our 8 o'clock hour will be Julia Kreutz, Blue Jays reporter at MLB.com. We'll talk about the night that was Chris Bassett and John Calipari joining us at 8.30 to talk about some NBA and some future NBA prospects that he might have in the system at Kentucky. All that to come and then a baby wake and rake to wrap up the show. So send those picks in at 590 It's the Fan Morning Show with Justin and Ailish. The best Blue Jays show out there, period. Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. The place to be is Miami. Basketball, hockey, and now Lionel Messi, MLS superstar, Inter Miami. Yesterday, I make the announcement, uh, 35-year-old soccer superstar headed to North America for the latter half of his career, to put it nicely, but it's still going to be all messy all the time. Uh, Tony Miola jo- joins us this morning, former Team USA goalkeeper and current MLS um, on Fox color analyst and host of Sirius XM FC. Busy guy. Appreciate you joining us this morning. What an exciting time to be covering the MLS. Yeah, good morning, guys. Uh, there's no doubt about it. Um, obviously, Lionel Messi, arguably one of the uh, greatest players ever and, and one of the greatest players we've ever seen in, in this era comes to our league. And we've kind of we've kind of heard rumors right over the last uh, year or so that Lionel Messi may make the decision to come here. And it's, it's been massive, massive news, as you can imagine. Um, I mean, it's changed sort of the dynamic of um, how people are, are, are already looking at Inter Miami, I, but it, but I think we kind of expected right wherever Lionel Messi went next, whether it was to go back to Barcelona, you knew what that reception would look like. Had he gone to Saudi Arabia, you can imagine what that reception would have looked like, and it's it's blown up. Um, I, I just saw something just before we came on here um, yesterday. Inter Miami's Instagram account had a million followers. And I thought to myself, oh, it's a great number, but by by the time everybody went to bed and woke up this morning, um, they've got 4.8 million, so almost 5 million. I mean, and I'm not a big social media guy, but you start looking at all the numbers and you're like, this, this is going to make a massive impact. Um, you know, and the other discussion is the, the time that he comes during his career um, and where he is as a, as a footballer. Um, I, I, you know, you've read everything about this league. It's a retirement league, and you know, you've heard everything. But keep in mind, Lionel Messi is a guy that said not too long ago he still wants to be part of the 2026 World Cup for Argentina. Mm-hmm. This guy's five, five months or six months removed from winning the World Cup, and 
Um, I believe he was player of the match in the last five matches of the tournament uh, for Argentina. So we're not talking about a guy that's completely finished here. And seems like he, uh, he still wants to compete at the highest level uh, on the national team level. He's going to have to do that by getting through, you know, by, by playing in Major League Soccer and keeping sharp there. So certainly people excited. I live in South Florida, um, and you can imagine what the uh, level of excitement is down here. Yeah, and I think it's reverberating, excuse me, around the entire MLS. Uh, it's a major, major deal. You mentioned the Instagram account. I think we uh, we got the number of 73 uh, or 73 follows per second on average <laughs> since uh, he, he landed uh, that deal or since it was announced uh, or reported at least. It's a massive, massive deal. And you nailed it. I mean, golden uh, ball winner at the World Cup six months ago. I mean, playing at the highest level of sport and being dropped into an MLS game. I mean, what do you think when you imagine it, it's going to look like when Leo Messi is carrying the ball against MLS competition? Well, I mean, he's still going to have to compete, right? Uh, that's that I think is 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 clear, and we've seen that in this league. How many foreigners have come to this league, and you guys see it up in Toronto, where all of a sudden you get here, you think it's going to be one thing, and and I, I shudder to say you think it's going to be easier, but I just don't have a better word for it, you know. So you think that the level's going to be one thing, and you get in games, and all of a sudden you start traveling, which you don't do a lot of in Europe uh, it, with, with respect to the size of the country and then going to two different countries, uh, three different time zones and different weather and all of that stuff. And you add all of that up and all of a sudden you realize this isn't necessarily as easy as I thought it was going to be. Um, what I'm, what I'm really interested in, we, you know, we, we're going to find out sort of in time. If you remember back in 2007, when David Beckham came here, how not only was it big for the league, but how David Beckham's move, changed some of the rules in our league, right? We now have designated players and we, you know, teams have three of them now. You can spend as much money as you want on those. What, what, what is the Leo Messi long-term effect? Because we've been sort of yearning for a little while here. Let's just kind of take the, 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 you know, take the leash off a little bit and, and let, let teams go and do what they want to do. Uh, does this now push us towards that, a little bit more. And again, time will tell, but so, you know, we've had one big example in Beckham, how that could change the way owners look at things. Um, the league looks at things, you know, will Leo Messi's, uh, you know, time here, take our, our league in that regard also to the next step. Well, we've already seen um, his his reported contract change a lot of way that the structuring might change for future contracts, um, a, a, including a team option for part ownership, a cut of revenue from Apple TV's MLS season pass and Adidas kit sales. So I wonder when you look at the way that they've structured this, obviously it's pretty hard to compare to $1.6 billion of Saudi money. So they had to find a way to make this uh, a lucrative opportunity for Messi. Do you think that's something that we might see moving forward and, and just how important is this structure of this deal for maybe the growth of MLS being able to land these big players? Yeah, I don't know that, excuse me, I don't know that anybody else gets the deal Leo Messi gets yeah. <laughs> and the structured Leo because they don't have the name Messi on the back of their shirt when it's all said and done. What it might do is bring in, you know, somehow more money out obviously Apple TV and that's been a big deal here in the U.S. And, and you know, I work on the Apple package and we know how important it is to continue to grow that. Um, but you can only give so many people a, a slice of that pie, right? 
But what it does is, is potentially bring more money into the league, as I said, bring more teams into the league, um, which in turn will bring better players and bigger name players um, into the league. And we've done a really good job of late of, of buying young players and selling them overseas, developing American players. You guys are seeing it in Canada as well, developing young players and selling them to Europe. I think that's part of the cycle. But Lionel Messi's not brought here to buy and sell, right? Lionel Messi's brought here to grow the league. He has his own mission. Uh, there's no doubt about that. And, and Major League Soccer's got their mission on how they want to do things. Um, but again, it opens up the door for so many different players. I've read reports. I mean, we've been hearing about uh, Sergio Ramos for a while wanting to come to Major League Soccer. Last night, he's been linked to Atlanta United. Uh, Di Maria, who's a free agent as of a week ago, uh, has now been linked to Inter Miami. Um, there's been other guys, Luis Suarez. I, I mean, the list goes Busquets. The, the list goes on and on about players now. And I really think a lot of that has to do with the fact that Lionel Messi decided to come here and ply his trade for probably the rest of his career here in, in the U.S. Um, so many reports about what it's done. In, uh, sorry, Charlotte sold, uh, I don't know, 10,000 tickets yesterday because I guess I hadn't looked at the schedule. That must be one of the potential destinations. Chicago, who, who, where I covered the last three years of games in Chicago, I think they sold like 12,000 uh, tickets in one day because that's a potential destination. Think about how many teams in Major League Soccer are going to have to move probably one game a year from their their current stadiums to maybe the bigger NFL stadiums in town. Um, there's a massive, massive effect. But, of course, when you're paying that much money for Leo Messi, that's the effect that you want if you're Major League Soccer. And this is always how it was supposed to work, right? It was supposed to be the names you outlined, the ones that, you know, were prevalent, uh, at least at least when I was first getting into soccer myself around the 2010s, all these big names, you just outlined a bunch of them and they're always were supposed to come at the end of their European careers to MLS to continue their careers, to experience North American culture, to grow the game and make a lot of money doing so. But there was something called Saudi Arabia that kind of got in the way of that, or at least it seemed uh, momentarily here. Ronaldo goes there. Karim Benzema goes there. Why, why did Messi choose Miami? Like, why was it that over the ridiculous amount of money he could have earned in Saudi Arabia? And do you think, I mean, and you kind of outlined it here, do you think this reroutes some certain individuals who might have went there, which is a competing entity, certainly, to MLS for these players instead of, or to go to MLS instead of going to Saudi Arabia? Like, do you think this has that big of an impact where Messi can kind of rewrite history here and at least where a lot of these names are going to end up? Yeah, well, Messi said yesterday, you know, he wanted more of a family life. Um, he wanted to be a dad uh, in some of his, uh, in that interview that was shown. Um, he said it wasn't about the money. And keep in mind, we, we keep saying it's not about the money. I mean, there's been reports from $800 million to $1.6 billion, right, in, in Saudi Arabia. Who knows what this contract is going to look like? You think about David Beckham and his uh, buy-in to, which eventually ended up being Miami, uh, was $25 million. They're now selling franchises at $500 million. Um, so if he does have an option to buy an MLS team when it's all said and done, um, he's going to be linked to Major League Soccer for the rest of his life through Adidas, through the Apple deal. 
Does this become more than whatever the number is, $1 billion, $1.4 billion, $1.6 billion, when it's all said and done? Um, probably. I, I don't think any of us thought that Lionel Messi was in this stage going to make um, a decision based on money because wherever he went, um, he was going to get money. I, this, this deal here was probably second in line right now to Saudi Arabia because Barcelona, with all of their issues and Gosh, you know, he said he didn't want to get to the point where Barcelona needed to take him but start selling players. So think about that for a minute. There's Lionel Messi thinking about other guys losing their contracts because he's coming to the club, which I think is pretty unheard of in sports these days, right? Because it's it's a me, me, me world uh, when it comes to that. But again, Lionel Messi's I don't know his financial situation, but you guys probably agree. Probably He's probably not hurting for money, right? They're like, he'll be okay. Um, you know, but again, certainly he was going to make money wherever he went. But I don't think that – it doesn't sound like from his uh, sit-down conversation yesterday that that was the determining factor. Uh, he talked about his wife wanting to live in the U.S. and raise kids in the U.S. He said he will go back to Barcelona um, he will live there in Barcelona. That's kind of already been determined. Uh, he's had a place in Miami for a long time. Of course, a vacation place. He may have to upgrade now a little bit in, in his house in Miami. But, uh, yeah, it's it really is just an exciting time. And we can slice it up any way we want. We tried to yesterday on the radio on our show on Counterattack on, on Sirius XMFC, we tried to just – talk about Messi, the, 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 the footballer coming to the U.S. and how important it is and, you know, what, what it will look like and all those other things we're going to figure out over time. You know, my suggestion is we just enjoy Lionel Messi for the time that he's here um, because, uh, you know, wherever you put him um, as, you know, the best or the second best, wherever you slice that conversation up in your head, um, the guy's an incredible player and happy to, to be able to see him in the U.S. A good time to be a high-end contractor in the Miami area with all this uh, <laughs> talent coming in, perhaps. Um, so, yeah, I don't think this, like, threatens the the structure of soccer, at least in Europe right now, right? Like, this is a big move, but I don't think a guy like Jude Bellingham is going to go to uh, Atlanta on a huge deal instead of Real Madrid when you're at that stage of your career. It's still for the guys in the back nine. But do you think we're moving closer to that with that move where, hey, maybe a young guy, a 24-year-old gets a huge designated opportunity to come to MLS and enjoy their entire career here? Or is it just how it goes where you got to prove yourself, you got to make your name, you got to get to the point where you're an attraction before you're coming over? I think we see guys uh, on the, the immediate front end uh, of their career, and then we see guys on, on the, the it was called the final third of their career, right? I think they've been coming they've been coming a little earlier now. Look, I hope in Toronto you've got Insigne, right? And it's not worked out great of late, I understand. But just think about the move that he made at the time that he made it. I think we'll see more of those um, in the future. The one thing that, that we're never going to be able to compete with here in the U.S. is Champions League football. And, and you, you both know how revered that is for players. Every time you hear a player that's about to make a move, what do they say? They say, I want to you know, be in a Champions League side. I want to win Champions League. I want to compete in Champions League. And we're, we've, we've got our own version. Now that's, uh, I believe, changed names to Champions Cup. But that's, that's not going to compete with Champions League there. And that's the, sort of the holy grail and the thing that 
you know, keeps everybody there. Do I think we will ever get to that point? I mean, I never want to say never because for a guy that's been around um, this league since day one and U.S. soccer way before that, to think that we would come to a point that people would pay more for MLS franchises than they would for a Premier League team is just mind-blowing to me, right? It's just that, and again, I... I've been away. I've been. Uh, I'm sorry. I've been here since day one, and for me to even say that, to you, just I, I almost think like I'm lying. But that's the truth, right? It, people are paying more for MLS franchises than you would to buy a Premier League side, uh, and not all Premier League sides, but but most. So again, I don't want to say never. It doesn't look like that for the immediate future, uh, but. You start seeing guys uh, like Messi and Sergio Ramos and whoever else is next to come, um, and they start talking about the lifestyle in the U.S. And no, they're not under twenty-four hours twenty-four hour surveillance at their house, and people aren't waiting twenty-four hours a day in front of their property just to take a picture. And you need security guards twenty-four hours a day, and all of a sudden that lifestyle doesn't look so unattractive to you, right? And and um, who knows when that point will come, uh, but but we are getting closer, right? Mm-hmm. And we still might be far away, but we're still getting closer. Well, a seismic move nonetheless, and uh, it certainly will change the sport, the MLS landscape, and I'm sure you're really excited to be able to cover that. We appreciate you coming on this morning. We can't wait for one year when uh, he comes up here next summer. We already missed that boat this time around, but next year we'll be really excited. Maybe we can chat with you to tee up that game against TFC. Appreciate it, Tony. Yeah, thanks, guys. Have a good day. You as well. That's Tony Miola, former USA national team goalkeeper, current MLS on Fox, color analyst and host of Sirius XM FC, decorated career as a professional goalkeeper in Europe and more than a decade in MLS. And he's been to three World Cups for the United States. These teams may need to, uh, or I guess the league, add a few more designated spots. A lot of big names he was mentioning. Is there room for everyone? <laughs> Uh, like we're ch- talking about the changes and mm-hmm. what Messi will do. Yeah, I think he might change some of the structure of the league as well if a lot more players want to come and play in the league that Leo Messi is playing in. Thousands upon millions of new followers for Inter Miami. Ticket prices going from 29 US dollars to 477 just come to get now. in the doors. Come on like, now. It's getting real uh, exciting for anyone that's going to get an opportunity to see Messi play here in North America won't be until next summer when they come up to play TFC. So you can start saving up now, hit a couple wake and rakes. Maybe we can pay for those tickets. Speaking of tickets, hopefully it's not a March game for Messi and Toronto. Ooh, it better be like nice like end of July, <laughs> early August, good sunset. Let's try to make that work schedulers. Um, speaking of tickets, we've been giving away tickets all week long for the blue Jays game on tomorrow night. They're excited to celebrate pride month at the ballpark on June 9th and 10th. With the fourth annual Pride Weekend presented by TD, we've been giving away tickets all week long in the Fan Morning Show. So to enter, listen for our daily code word. Text it into 590-590. Today's code word is Pride Weekend. Text Pride Weekend to 590-590 right now for your chance to win tickets to tomorrow's game against the Minnesota Twins. Tomorrow's game will also feature a rainbow flag jersey giveaway, pregame festivities, community initiatives, and more. So today's code word, Pride Weekend. There's a space in between Pride and Weekend. At 590-590 for tomorrow night's game against the Twins. Kikuchi on the mound. Kicking off a really exciting weekend at the ballpark.
Uh, we're going to talk a little basketball with John Calipari. Great get at 8.30. Mm-hmm. Uh, but quickly here, uh, game three of the NBA Finals was last night. Uh, the Denver Nuggets taking a 2-1 series lead over the Miami Heat. Mm-hmm. Triple doubles galore for the two-headed monitor, that monster that is Jokic and Jamal Murray. Uh, anything stand out to you in that game? Yeah, the, those two are miles and miles ahead of everybody else. that was else. a bad question. <laughs> it's, uh, I mean, they're breaking history almost every single game. I mean, Jokic... First 30-point, 20-rebound, 10-assist game in finals history. He's asked about it after the game. What does this mean? He goes, not much. It's just it's just another game. Like, they just look unstoppable and a different level of play than anyone else on that court. Obviously, Jamal Murray with our Kitchener connection sets an NBA Finals single-game record for points by a Canadian. Yeah, I mean, everything he's doing is setting new Canadian records, but mm-hmm. just a thrill to watch, um, and I know Kitchener is real proud. Yeah, it was a pretty comfortable victory in the end for Denver, but mm-hmm. there were some, like, tenuous moments. I mean, yeah. I guess that's going to happen uh, in a basketball game, but Jamal Murray, it seemed like he rose to the occasion every time they needed a big shot, at least in that first half, when, it, when they were failing to kind of create that separation from the Heat. You're right. It just seems like, yeah, they got the best two players in the series, but their team is way better. And Miami's doing the thing where they're hanging around. They're finding a way to be competitive uh, and they're making life difficult. But it seems like it's pretty clear, just like it is in the Stanley Cup final, that one team is better than the other. And the other one, can they keep it close? Can they stick around? But like, you know, eyebrows being raised, seeing Kevin Love in a starting lineup nowadays in an NBA final. I will say, though, like, there is a clear weak link with Denver. Like Michael Porter Jr. has turned into an absolute bum all He's of a sudden. He's a pumpkin. <laughs> like but, but, but and what I'm and to underscore the fact that they're like a team and they're mm. more of a team than certainly a lot of the other, you know, in the NBA, they're just trying to like jam superstars together all the time. And this is like as natural or as organic of a team build that I think we've seen this Denver Nuggets team. And like a true team, they got next man up. Mm-hmm. My buddy Christian Brown steps up, and he was awesome in the game. He Your was buddy. awesome. I love him. He's great. <laughs> and, uh, like, it just kind of, like, again, not to make it about the local team, but they just spent, like, the 18th overall pick mm-hmm. recently. Like, he mm-hmm. won a national championship last year. Just get a guy into the system who can play and to step up when, when someone else is going through it, like Michael Porter Jr. is. He gave him a huge shot in the arm. You can see him growing within the series and with this run that Denver's on. It's just, you know, team basketball still wins out in the end, and Miami's proof of that, and Denver's even more proof of that. So it's, you know, it's just another thing to consider, another thing to chew on. Oh, there you go. Bonus chew. Uh, at 8.30, we'll talk to Coach Calhoun, coached Jamal Murray. Um, a lot of other notable names we'll go through. But, I mean, after a big Jamal Murray night like last night, what a great time to co- uh, to talk to the legendary head coach. Uh, Julia Kreutz is going to join us next on the Fan Morning Show. Blue Jays reporter for MLB.com. Uh, Chris Bassett, a quick and efficient two hours and three minutes to wrap up um, a Wednesday night game. <laughs> Kreutz got her, got her sleep last yeah, night, I she guess. She must be bright-eyed this morning. So we'll talk to Julia on the other side of the break. Coach Cal at 8.30, and we'll do a baby wake and rake. So send those picks in at 595.90. And then Canadian Open updates live. See who's on top of the leaderboard when we sign off.